The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. The podcast that literally no one ever asked for and I keep making them. Because I do what I want, my people. Today I sat down and talked with my good buddy Ben Satterly. Ben's a professional drummer over in Nashville. And we connected over Instagram over our, our mutual love of drums, but we got into some really interesting topics regarding prosperity gospel, celebrity church culture, a little bit of mental health, a little bit of uh, parenting. There's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in here for everybody. So I hope you get something out of it. I know I got a ton out of it. And um, if you don't care about drums, fast forward. We talk about music for a while, but eventually we get into some pretty meaty stuff, which I think um, you'll enjoy. If you haven't already, make sure you head on over to iTunes and give us a five star rating for the podcast. If you love it, if you hate it. Leave a rating too. It's helpful for me to improve the content. Also, if you haven't checked out our Patreon yet, go to patreon.com slash preachers and sneakers. You get exclusive content. You get exclusive merch. A lot of awesome things going on over there. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben and talk to you later. All right. Well, let's kick this. So I'm talking to my homie, Ben Satterley, who is a full-time drummer over in Nash Vegas. Nashville. And you and I got connected early on when this account started to blow up, mostly because I, well, you reached out to me, but I was drawn to you because you had some dope drumming videos. And I grew up a drummer, really interested in drums. And I think it's the best instrument out there. And, um, but through our conversations, you, you had some good takes about uh, materialism and celebrity church culture and Preachers and sneakers. Um, so before we get into that, you mind walking me through kind of what your drumming careers looked like in kind of a quick form. I know there's a you know, there's a lot here. I mean, you you gig all over the world. You you do tons of volume in regards to gigs. So just yeah, quickly go through how you got to where you are currently, what you're up to today, and yeah, we'll go from there. Um, yeah, so I I grew up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, my mom and I moved there when I was a little baby so she could go to Bible school. And um, I grew up in the church at a time that was really, really healthy for just the church as a whole because it was much more um, locally based. And I mean, this is pre-internet, so you didn't really have a lot of uh, ways to connect with, the, like, I guess you would say that the corporate church as a whole. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you would see concerts and stuff. I mean, Carmen was based out of Tulsa at the time, and he was huge. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was. He was one awesome. of the first like uh, contemporary church celebrities, right? Or Christian uh, yeah. celebrities. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could definitely say that because he wasn't just a worship leader; he was just like a Christian icon at that point. Right. Doing, you know, um, solo stadium shows. I mean, at a time when really only Garth Brooks was doing that. Um, and doing <laughs> that, just asking for a love offering, which was, you know, great for a, a poor kid like me. So, <laughs> Is he still around? Um, as far as I know, he's still doing his thing. Um, he kind of went away for a bit, and I guess he had a cancer scare. Um, oh, and uh, I guess he's he's back. I, I, I guess he was healed and he's back doing his thing. I mean, it's definitely not the same scale, but I think he's also, you know, he's getting up there, man. He, he's got to be in his mid to late 60s. Um, yeah, born 1956. And now he's a television host and evangelist, apparently. Yeah, which, I mean, is a little bit how more. how sneaker game is. Oh, dude. I, I, I mean, he was always a really sharp dresser. Um, <laughs> one of my mom's really close friends when I was growing up, uh, this lady named Miss Rosemary, was actually his cousin. So she would always like rag on him and give him all these, uh, like you know, really, really behind the scenes intimate stories about growing up together in New York and, yeah, interesting, good, good, good stuff. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so you're from Tulsa, uh, home of Christian radio stations and the Hard Rock Tulsa. I don't know much else about Tulsa. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Oral Roberts University, as far as like the, the the church is concerned, is probably like the most famous thing out of Tulsa right now. Okay. Um, and I grew up. Is Oral Roberts from there? I don't think so. Um, but he, he founded that church, I think, in, or excuse me, he founded that school in the 70s, I want to say. Um, and I grew up like a mile from okay. there. Um, and that was, I mean, I was, I was real fortunate, not only just growing up in the church and experiencing a lot of different stuff growing up, but also, um, you know, I was exposed to music really, really young. Uh, my mother was a drummer. My father was a drummer. And um, I, I was just mom yeah i mean uh, you know i was real fortunate you know she got me a practice pad in first six when i was i think four or five and uh you know i started kind of fiddling around uh with 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 drums but i didn't actually get a set of drums till i was about 12 years old and mm-hmm. uh the story goes basically uh we were at a uh, a barber shop and this guy uh met me and my mom and he was like oh you're a drummer and i was like well not really but i really like drums and um uh basically like uh, Cut to about a month later, he shows up at my house with a uh, heavily, heavily used drum kit. Um, had some dude's laundry in it. It smelled awful. Um, <laughs> but man, I, 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 I cherished that drum kit. I had it and I played on it for maybe about two or three years before I was able to get like a, like a quote unquote legit kit. Do you remember what kind it was? It was a percussion plus kit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so is that, that's like a... It's, off-brand type deal it's it's the off-brand of the off-brand yeah it's like like you know how like you have um mr pib is like like the ghetto dr pepper <laughs> yeah this would be like dr thunder but it is delicious which is like yeah no it's oh man i can't taste the difference but yeah like dr thunder is like the dollar general version of that right that's, that's what percussion yeah <laughs> <laughs> But when you're that age, you don't care if the drum set. And you're like, Dude, I did not care at all. Oh, man, I was in heaven, bro. Are you kidding me? And, like, I was – I mean, I had literally been been dreaming of a drum kit, praying for a drum kit. So 
When I got yeah. one, I did not care at all that it was a piece, man. I, I loved that thing. Did you find that you could that you could like have some chops from the very beginning, or did your parents have to teach you oh, from gosh. the get-go? No, or your mom had to teach you from the get-go? I sucked. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and, and my mom, she, she marched snare line. So she, although she had like hands, she never did anything with like four-way coordination. So I, I kind of was on my own. Um, there was two drummers I really looked up to at the church. Um, one was this dude named Jason Burrell. And the other one was my homie Edison Hill, who I'm still good friends with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, shout out to Edison. What's up, dude? And... Um, <laughs> Man, he's, he, what's so funny, man, he was he was the guy that I would bug when I was little because he was the first drummer at the church, I remember. And I go, Mr. Edison, can I please play the drums? And he's like, man, get out of here, kid. And um, what's funny is that now, you know, he's he's got grown kids of his own. and He's still very much kind of like a big brother to me. Um, and I love that dude a lot. He, he you know, him and Jason um, and this other dude named Arthur Thompson, who was my mentor, like later on um, in Tulsa, they all did a lot of really, uh, you know, positive things to, to speak life into what I was doing, tried to, you know, aim me in the right directions and teach me what to do and what not to do, especially in the context of uh, playing in church. Hmm. Like don't do a bunch of fills during worship song. Oh no, no. I went to a black church. Fills were very much. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gospel chops only. Then. Oh bro. And, and like that, that was the thing is I never really had gospel chops. So like I, I thought I sucked um, because hmm. in, in, you know, in the, in the black church, uh, you really got to be able to play beyond just pocket. I mean, don't get me wrong. Pockets definitely, you know, uh, you have to have that, but also you got to mm-hmm. be able to play out. And I, I never was able to do that, which might've been the reason why I felt so at home kind of playing some of the, uh, I guess you would say like more like CCM, like wider churches, because right. it wasn't necessarily more chops driven. It was more just like emphasizing four, four, the groove and exactly, exactly. Which was, you know, always kind of what I felt in my heart like I, I wanted to do anyways. Yeah. Interesting. For those listening, that don't know what pocket is basically the ability to, to stay in the rhythm to the point where it's like, that's your whole role as a drummer really is to like, quote unquote, stay in the pocket and do fills, you know, as required, but gospel chops right. on, on the other hand is being all over the place, but somehow it, it fits in the context of the beat. Right. How would you exactly, Exactly. No, I mean, what you said was perfect. And it's, it's, it's being able to, at the, at the drop of a hat, be able to go from one section to another seamlessly, you know, fluidly. And like, I'm, I'm not saying it to, to rag. It's just, it's not my style. You know, like some dudes really dig the ACDC vibe, you know, where it's just two and four. And like that dude made millions of dollars doing that. I don't fault him at all. You know, at the same time, when you see somebody who's, playing for like a band like maybe Rush, you know, Neil Peart. That dude's incredible rock icon. I couldn't do that either. You know what I mean? And so like both mm. are, you know, it's like separate but equal. Like I, I, I really dig the ACDC thing. I really dig the Rush thing. You know, both are great. It's just, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. And when you're coming up, a lot of times you want to work on the sexy stuff that maybe leans more towards gospel chops. But if oh, you chops don't get are a, cool. If you don't get a bass, then you just kind of end up being that guy that's doing too much, like do less and God bless. And and when I started gigging, that's when I really started to get hip to the fact that like people were like, no, no, just give me that pocket. I, I was playing with this dude at the time 
He was from Alabama, so he's real slick. He's like, man, you give me that pocket, boy, man, just lay it back there, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and he would always talk. He wanted, the, you know, the snare to sound like a gunshot. He's like, man, just give me that, pat. Just give me that. Like, he, <laughs> he was so funny. But, yeah, no. Um, and then when I started doing other stuff, you know, I started gigging. Because, you know, uh, at the time, I was at a church that had probably, man, at least six other drummers, at least, other than Jeez. me and Edison and Jason who all were like down to play, you know? So, I mean, I was, I was the youngest, so I, there's, I wasn't getting any love. <laughs> I wasn't mm. getting, play. I was just bugging the uh, worship pastor way too much. So I started gigging out, you know, I was playing with the steel drum band. I was playing, um, doing jazz clubs. There was this really great jazz club back in Tulsa, which I don't think it's there anymore called the continental. It was very mm. much built like uh, the long New York style, skinny clubs. Yeah. Underground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was built like that. And, um, I, I, I started that. going there when I was, oh man, See, I've never been to a New York club ever. Like, but they were like, yeah, yeah they're still around, been. but it's like a lot of times they get so full so quickly. Like they'll start playing at like six or seven and they'll already be full because it's like a thing now. I mean, maybe it's always been a thing, but it's cool to be able to go experience like old school jazz club. And a lot of people pack those places out. Well, and every time I've been to New York, I've never been able to um, have freedom at nighttime. I've always been gigging. So like, oh, I'd so. love to go. Like, you know, like the 55 bar or something like that, you know, the bitter end, one of those places. Because, I mean, some of the most amazing musicians in New York will go and play there for like, you know, an hour or two for 50 people, you know. But yeah. So were you working? I mean, so what what age is this that you're playing in jazz clubs? Like jazz isn't easy. Like that's to me, that's 16. one of the harder forms out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was in jazz band at the time. And uh, my 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 band instructor, Mr. Kirk, was he was he was very much like a Mr. Miyagi type dude, you know, like uh, in, in Karate Kid where he's teaching Daniel all that that crap without actually like letting him know he's learning. That was yeah. how he like, you know, I I'll be playing a song and uh, he'd be like, hey, Ben, uh, why don't you go check out Philly Joe? And then he would just count the song off again. And I'm like, who the frick is Philly Joe? Like, what, what does this mean? <laughs> so he would he would just give me basically the shovel and then I'd have to go dig for what the frick he was talking about. Hmm. <laughs> and so I, I come back a week later going, Hey, I, I, I get it. it. Did you mean this? He's like, there you go. And like, that was it. So I found, I really, um, benefited well from that type of teaching. Yeah. And, uh, man, it was, it was, it was really cool to get to be able to do, um, gigging like that. So I, I started gigging in clubs. I, I would, I would go in there and they knew I was underage, but I never tried to drink or anything like that. Like I, mm-hmm. so I was cool, you know? Um, but yeah, I'd go sit in at the uh, the jam nights and, and uh, just try to learn as much as I could from the older guys. That's interesting. So that mostly was Tulsa based. Did you find that you were able to to excel beyond your peers for your age, like as a drummer, or did you find that you had a lot of peers that were doing a lot of the same things as you, or did you or or you stand out? Um, I, I would say, although I showed some talent, my main thing that had me stand out was my drive um it wasn't that i was necessarily better it was that i was way more hungry to learn and to continue to improve a lot of my homies kind of like uh you know i guess that you would say they fell away you know they went to high school and and started doing they were getting degrees in like real jobs man like they're you know yeah and i was like no you know because i got accepted to berkeley out of high school and and then about a month before i was supposed to go i had a really serious panic attack i just i felt like 
I felt like I wasn't supposed to go. Like I wasn't emotional. Berkeley College of Music. Yes, yeah, the one in Boston. Yeah, yeah. You uh, said oh, so. You had a panic attack because I just felt like I wasn't supposed. To, I, like I wasn't ready to go. Like I wasn't ready to 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 leave. You know. Hmm. And uh, my mom was like, "All right, well, uh, I'm I'm moving to Texas, so I guess you're just gonna have to get an apartment and stay here." I was like, "All right, then." And that's what I did. Um, really? She, she yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's I one of the hardest music schools to get into. Yeah, it was it was a rough one, and then you know um, when I when I auditioned, man, uh, they I was kind of hoping they were gonna have a non drummer audition me, and instead they had this guy named Ralph Peterson, who's not only is he a world class jazz drummer, but he is also a phenomenal uh, trumpet player and piano player. <laughs> so he really knew his craft, and he could tell that I didn't know mine. So mm. although he was very kind and he gave me some, you know. Some 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 nice words to learn from. I you know I got accepted, but I didn't get much scholarship. So that was another thing I was going to be. I was going to be like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt for a little piece of paper that said I could play. So Woof. I decided. Yeah, I mean, so I decided to stay in Tulsa and just throw myself in the deepest water I could find. So that meant playing with the American Theater Company, doing you know pit work for them for mm-hmm. for directions. I was doing jazz trio, Latin jazz, steel drum band, funk band, top. 40 rock band, 90s cover band. I mean, anything I could get my hands on, anything I could do to work is what I did. That's bananas. And were you booking yourself the whole time? Oh, yeah, bro. You know, it's funny. I, I look back now, like, how I would schedule. I would schedule two and three months in advance. And then, like, uh, if I was doing this thing at the time with this artist uh, from Missouri, we do those CIY camps, Christ and Youth. Um, hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think it's more of like a Midwestern thing. But uh, basically what would happen is we would go and play like uh, Thursday through Sunday at a church camp. So like one was in Missouri, one was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, one was like in Memphis. And it was like at colleges, but it was all um, middle school, high school kids. Interesting. So kind of like uh, Student Life or D-Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like a mini version of uh, YWAM, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was great. And, like, that kind of got me into playing with uh, a worship artist who – because at this time, there wasn't a lot known about how Hillsong worked as far as, like, okay, they're using click and loop. And there's probably also, you know, uh, vocal prompts yeah. in your ears so you know where you're at. And so, like, that was all new to me. And it was an amazing experience for me to be able to grow and, like, learn about how to – play along with something like that. So was that during the time when Hillsong was kind of changing the game as far as production value? Were you touring with a Christian artist at the same time? Um, I wasn't necessarily touring with any one artist. I was doing spot dates with different artists. Uh, but yeah, Hillsong was killing it, dude. This was around the era of like Mighty to Save. I mean, they destroyed um, it. I mean, yeah, that was every other song. Out, like I used and, to play in worship bands too. And it was like every other song. Um, all, Almost definitely. All well, yeah, with that we, driving kick. You had mighty to say. <laughs> Four on the floor all, all day. <laughs> yeah. I would. I used to. Like, and then when I used to laugh by myself when worship leaders. It's like it was no surprise. We would like start practicing, and they're like, "All right, um, so for the drums, can you just kind of do like a driving kick for this one?" And it would be like six songs in a row, and I'd be like, "Yeah, dude, I'm just gonna do that the whole time." Yeah, like I'm not gonna lie, man. That that, that still gets to me because, like, I, I in modern worship music, you know, I can't really speak for most drummers, but for me, man, like I'm doing one of like three beats, maybe four, mm-hmm. 
And it's it always like suits the song. It's just like the songs are kind of all written like that. And at that time, it was you know, glorious day. Yep. You had um, mighty to save. You, I mean, you you had anthem bangers. You know, <laughs> and so it was it was a lot of really serious driving stuff. Tribal toms on the bridge, yep. kind of thing. You know, down chorus, big chorus, big outro. I mean, it's basically like the. It, it's almost like a scientific method because it appeases like certain physiological like it it gives the listener like some kind of physiological feeling kind of like edm music it's like the reason edm music is all the same is because the science matters it's like you have a build up and then you have a drop and your body loves hearing the drop and then you build up and then you drop and then you change it do a key change another build up another drop and it's basically like what worship music is too yeah, and, and you know, I'll, I'll say that now, man. Like, I, I definitely feel like there's a formula that a lot of worship leaders stick to now. Um, and it's, it, I'm not sure if it's a good thing, I'm not sure if it's a bad thing, but it's definitely something that they've, they've found that works. Yeah. So it's I, really hard to stray from that formula. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I get it, though, because you have to appeal to such a massive crowd and, like, get them to participate. So I assume you're having to, if you try to switch things up and do something completely out of left field, people are going to be like, what is this? Yeah, totally. And I, and I get that, you know, it's, it's weird, man. Like I was, I had a really great conversation with a, a, a worship leader who I was filling in at his church a few weeks back. And he was just like, yeah. And he was just basically sharing with me about his, his uh, experience with becoming a worship leader and then in eventually becoming on staff at the church he was at. And he was, you know, he was kind of telling me how he had to pick and choose different um, songs to, to deal with different situations. Like, you know, one week the worship pastor might say, or excuse me, the, the pastor might say, you know what, I'm really kind of feeling just acoustic guitar and voices this week. And so he has to make the changes and, you know, make the proper arrangements, let other musicians that were slated to play know, let other ones come in who are, you know, better at doing like the kind of light airy singing versus like the, the bigger, like anthematic type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot that goes in, you know, both being a worship leader and a pastor are very, very difficult jobs. Yeah, they are. And they don't pay much at all. Unless you're an <laughs> artist, artist. I would right. assume. Right. Um, I haven't seen well, any, any of these W2s. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and even then though, you know, it depends like if you're on staff with a church, I mean, if you write a song for them, is that just part of your pay? Like, you know, like mm-hmm. that, those are things that I think a lot of churches are kind of having to deal with now, you know? Oh, as far as like the licensing agreements and stuff. Right. Right. Like, is it, is it, is it the church's property once it's written by you because you're on staff with them or is that your thing that's separate? Yeah. Oof. It seems dicey. So it's greasy for sure. What about um, moving? Like, so you did, did some of the Christian sit-ins and stuff. Now you're in Nashville. What brought you there, and what are you up to now? Um. Well, so I I had gotten married, and my wife and I had just kind of been chilling in Tulsa. You know, I, I to be perfectly honest with you, my my heart wasn't in the city anymore, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know where it was at. But I felt like I had one foot out the door, and you know, I I I was like, you know, maybe L.A., maybe New York, but I don't have to think enough skin to live on the coast, bro. Like, uh, uh, it's it, it freaked me out. And then I was like, well, I think we have actually even considered Kansas city for a second there. I have no idea why. Yeah. Um, but then we, we started to look at Nashville and I started to realize I knew quite a few people that were already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to go visit my 
Nova. Uh, do you remember Pillar? Yeah. Christian rock band? Yeah. So I, I, we went and uh, stayed at Noah's house with him and his wife and uh, their kiddos for like a week. That's cool. And we fell in love with the city. And then like we were like, all right, we need to freaking do this. Um, so at the time, I was filling in for uh, a buddy of mine on tour. And I had a week off in between runs. So I just stayed in Nashville. And my wife was sending me all these like addresses to go check out. And Nashville, for those of you that don't know how big it is, it's pretty freaking big. Mm-hmm. Like Nashville, the actual city is not that big, but like all the surrounding towns around it that make up the greater Nashville area is massive. Yeah. And she was sending me like 20 miles in this direction, 15 miles back. And finally I was like, honey, I'll just pick a spot. Just I'm signing off. And then I found us an apartment. And so we moved out here and we've been out here uh, seven years this November. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you have any kiddos yeah. or any pups or anything? We do. We have uh, we, we we call him our oldest son, our, our dog Max. He'll be eight. Uh, this actually, he just turned eight. And then my oldest son is four and a half. And then my youngest son is almost ten months. Whew. Which is crazy. So you got you got your hands full with some parenting going on. I got some parenting. Yes. Which I mean, dude, I I love being a dad. You know. I, it probably has something to do with being raised by a single mom. Like I always knew and if I ever freaking have kids, I'm just going to try my hardest to be like the best freaking dad. Yeah. So now I get to do all the fun stuff that I didn't get to experience, you know, um, which is, I, I get, I get emotional all the time with, with my kids just cause I'm like, man, you don't know how awesome this is. Like I know mm-hmm. I'm probably a really corny dad, but to me, you know, it's like, like I got to see my oldest son fishing like a month ago and like we got up early, we got donuts and like, that was freaking huge for me. Yeah. Like, I don't think he really got that much out of it, but I know. I loved it. <laughs> That's amazing though. Like what a, what a way to use your upbringing for good. Like it's, it's incredibly sad to not have a father in your life, but to be able to turn it around and say, look, I'm about to love the hell out of my kids because for sure, my you know, and, involved. Man, involved. you know, and, and it's, it's something that I, I'm constantly trying to remind myself of is just like, man, okay. Look, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to want to hang out with you all the time. And it's like, so I try to like be mindful of that too. Cause mm-hmm. he, he constantly reminds me, he's like, mommy's my favorite. Like he lets me know, like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, could you get mommy to come in here? Cause she's my favorite. Uh. And I'm like, okay, well that doesn't hurt at all. Uh, <laughs> you know, but dude, it, I mean, it's great. You know, I, 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 there's this amazing, uh, flat parking lot at this church down the street from my house. Um, shout out to pastor Doug. Uh, but uh, basically like my wife and I and our, our, our kids, we were walking by and I have a longboard, longboard skateboard. Mm-hmm. And my son has a tricycle. And I was like, Oh, that is the smoothest cement for like miles. So we went there one day and I was like, I was fully thinking we were going to get kicked out. Um, and, uh, pastor Doug rolled up and was like, he's like, is, is this your car? I was like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. You know, like, I, I, I know we're not members. I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, we'll, we'll, I don't mean to trespass. We'll leave. He's like, no, 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 no. It's totally cool, man. Um, and like, I was actually really taken back by like how cool he was Yeah. because, you know, in a lot of places they're like, no, nah, trespass get the frick off. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not a member. And he instead was like, oh man, you know, like, he, you know, your dad, like he wanted to know about me and my family. Um, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm you know, dude, be, be here as much as you want to. I'm glad to see you're, you're out here doing the dad thing. And I'm like, man, that, you know, that meant a lot. That's legit. And y'all were just, y'all were just yeah. cutting it up on, on the pavement there. We were literally going from one end to the other and giggling. Like it was so simple. He just, he, he chases me and then I, I, I let him catch me and then I chase him and I let him barely, you know, evade me. Like that's, that's what we do. And it's so goofy. 
and it's just so fun. Yeah, yeah like I, I didn't really think it was going to be that great, and like we have a blast. That's so much fun. Shout out to Pastor Doug. Sounds like a good dude. Pastor Doug's great. Oh man, he's great. You know, he was like, "Yeah, come back anytime. Play on the playground. We'd love to have you." You know, it's amazing. So, and what? Yeah, are you, and was, so, are you a full? time really cool. Studio musician now, or are you a full time touring, touring musician? So I was full time up until about maybe a year and some change ago, and my wife told me she was preggers with our Arthur Second, and at the time, to be perfectly honest, she was kind of having a tough go at mm-hmm. it, um, and uh, I, I, I kind of felt like I was like, okay, um, I need to get off the road. I, she needs me at home yeah. and I need, to be, I need to be at home. So I did that, you know, I, and, uh, I went from touring full time with like a, you know, bigger, uh, country act to, I think I was, you know, selling extra gear and driving for Lyft and, you know, uh, frick, what else was I doing? Hustling. I was basically doing anything and everything I could do to make sure that we were okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you know, and so it, honestly, like, I, you know, I, I, I play quite a bit. I mean, I don't do anything right now other than uh, music. So I'm, I'm still full time, but I don't I don't tour. I, I fill in. I sub at uh, several different churches. Um, I still play between four and five nights a week. Oh, snap. And then I still. Yeah. It's like you're doing yeah, like, but, gigs? like what, are the, what are the weeknight deals that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly club gigs just locally around uh, around town. I mean, I very rarely play anywhere outside of the greater Nashville okay, area. Okay. So like Broadway and, type and, deals. Yeah, sometimes Broadway, uh, sometimes just kind of like, you know, a tiny little, uh, you know, cafe. I mean, it, it really just kind of varies. I mean, yeah, I definitely do Broadway for sure. I mean, you know, the, the, for those of you who don't know, Broadway is kind of like our, well, I mean, there's not really anything else like it. You know, like I guess there's Bourbon Street, New Orleans, Beale Street and Memphis. But, you know, it's basically like the, that's where all the tourists mm-hmm. go when they come to Nashville. The, it's, it's like 50 honky tonks yeah, stacked up. All the live like country covers. Or the up and comers trying to trying to make it in Nash. I mean, it's like it's kind of like a necessary evil, right? Like to to play on Broadway. It's probably like the locals probably hate yeah. buying into the touristy piece, but I bet it pays better than trying to uh, play elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's like, do you want to really play for a bunch of drunk tourists? And pretend like you can't wait to play their their favorite, you know, song yeah. again. <laughs> for the hundredth time or the thousandth time. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, like, you know, four hours of this equals, you know, a day and a half's pay for yeah. a lot of jobs. So you, you, you can't be too bitter. Yeah, I guess. and keeping it in perspective, you get to play there music for money, which is beats working. Right, right. And thankfully, most of those clubs actually have house kits. So oh, I don't have so to bring good. my own drum kit. Because that's where all the labor comes, right? Yeah. Like if you're yeah, so already practiced up and you can take a quote-unquote plug and play, the pain of it is lugging the drums to and from. For sure. And like, you know, I, I still have homies that have to take their kids with them everywhere. And I'm like, gosh. And then you're that. like, if you don't have good cases, you're destroying your kid in the process. And then, yeah, it's a whole thing. Exactly. So exactly. Uh, that's awesome that you're – able to make a full career out of playing drums because a lot of people would like to do that and they're not doing it but it sounds like you know you were hungrier and it's more of a hustle play like granted i've watched your stuff on youtube and you do have chops and people i would encourage people to look up your videos on youtube if you just look up ben satterley with two t's um yeah yeah, for sure uh one thing i wanted to ask is that looking through your instagram 
you kind of mentioned a couple of times, like using your music as a tool to influence others. So I guess I wanted to ask, like, how has your faith played a role in all of that? Because it would be very easy to just be focused on drums and not be considered or not considering your talents and how to influence others with that. But could you talk me through some of that? Absolutely. Well, you know, I've been really fortunate. Um, it's been interesting because it's like I didn't get on Instagram to get, um, I don't know, like a thousand million followers mm-hmm. or anything like that. I just kind of was just like, hey, this is a cool way to network. And then I started to say like, well, I don't really have a website. Um, so it'd be kind of cool to be able to show some of what I do. And um, and the, within the last like year or two, um, I've had a really love-hate relationship with in, uh, social media in general. And I'm, I'm only on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm not on Facebook or Twitter. And um, there, there are some days where I'm like, I just, I just delete Instagram. Um, like I, I deleted it for about a week because I just needed a break. Like I just was like, okay, God, I just need to be a break. Yeah. I need to be away. They can get real addicting. All the distractions. And other, oh my gosh. Well, it, I mean, the, the studies are starting to come out about how detrimental to our minds that social media is and especially in like the younger generation like i i grew up without cell phone you know like i didn't have one until i was 19 so for me it's a relatively newer thing you know but um but to to, to talk to you know to answer your question about you know how how my faith is you know coming to play um when you go to my profile the very first thing that it says about me is talks about me being a christian it doesn't say i'm a drummer um Hmm. as the first thing because that's that's what I want people to know about first is um it says imperfect flawed saved like that's that is me yeah. summed up and um I, you know I've been really fortunate man because like I I have um uh, I have Christians that follow me obviously I also have Jews that follow me um I have a l- large following in the Middle East really? oddly enough um yeah dude I get messages all the time from guys that barely speak English and that are always very like uplifting. They're like, Hey, I, I just love what you do. And then I see the page and you know, they're, they're from, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq or I mean, hmm. it's really, really interesting um, how social media can like do that. Um, but like a few days ago, actually I was at this gig and this dude showed up and he was like, Ben freaking Saturday. He didn't say freaking, he said the other word, but um, he walked up to me. And he was like, I was like, Hey, Hey brother. I, and I, I, I call everyone brother because I, I, I get approached a lot and oftentimes I don't know yeah. who they are. So I just say, Hey brother. Cause I want one. I like, I like the intimacy of it. Um, Cause it's just like, you know, it, it automatically breaks down like barriers. Like, Hey brother, uh-huh. how are you, man? I call everyone brother. Um, but, but he was like, he's like, man, I've been, I've been a fan of yours for like two or three years. And he, he had um, big, huge uh, pentagrams hmm. in his ears. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. And so I, I, I guess he's actually like more, I'm not sure if he's, full-on satanist but he's definitely yeah. an atheist um but he came up with a with like a, a beer and he was like he's like i know you don't drink and i'm like no i don't drink <laughs> but he's like he's like man can i can i get you something i was like yeah dude a dr pepper would be great um and we talked for a few minutes after the gig was over and he kind of shared with me how he moved to town and was doing his thing and i was like man this is so wild like not only was he really really respectful but he he something I've done resonated with him enough for him to want to interact with me. And like it really just made me feel it made me feel good. I'm like, okay, well maybe maybe I am doing something worth yeah, it. Yeah, and so y'all were able to connect over drums. It's interesting uh that 
you don't drink being in the music business, like even in the Christian music business. Is that, was that a personal decision you made a long time ago? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. Can judge people. <laughs> no, 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 no. Honestly, like I went, when I turned 21, I tried mm-hmm. like a little bit of everything. And I said, like, okay, look, liquor, this is, you know, this is whiskey. This is bourbon. This is blah. And none of it tasted really good to me, except for like uh, boots <laughs> or, or, or like smeared on like the stuff that didn't yeah. count as liquor anyways. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit hmm. this one out, you know? And so I just decided I'm not going to drink. And it's, it's definitely not like a judgmental thing. It's like, I, I got no beef with anyone that drinks. I don't smoke either, you know, anything. And I got dread. So like I get asked if I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're the, the more likely, uh, contact right if people are trying to approach them cold turkey that drug oh dude yeah they, they know i'm holding oh yeah they know i'm holding always and it's like i'm like no man well, I, let me I, tell I, you about I'm jesus holding. sorry you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh what, what, what the funny thing is man especially like when i'm at like bars man like i get i get asked about jesus a lot um or like it, it's it's so weird and i think it's just because you know with liquor it you know it lowers your yeah. emissions and it makes you want to uh I guess just just talk about whatever's really on your heart, you know, whether you're in love or you got hurt or whatever. Man, people love talking about hmm. religion when they're drunk. That's that's so interesting. So in that in that yeah, regard, so, yeah. you've toured with a lot of bands. Uh, I guess my first question is, is: Do you have a favorite band that you toured with, or a favorite touring experience? Um. Favorite band would be really, really hard. Um, I was really close with like the low cash guys. Yeah. Those, those guys were great. Um, uh, favorite experience would definitely be um, so you know the band Sugarland. Yeah, yeah, I'm not no, sure absolutely. If you're a band or not? Oh yeah. So they had this song called Baby Girl, um, and my favorite experience ever touring, hands down, was um, I remember I was 19 and I was riding my bicycle back from work back to my home in Tulsa back when I didn't have a car. And I heard this song on the radio and it basically um, the premise is, it's a girl writing to her parents asking for money. She's, she's struggling, but she's doing mm-hmm. okay. Cause she's following her dreams. And then the, the, uh, and the, the, the chorus is dear mom and dad, please send money. Oh so yeah. It ain't funny. And, and then, then it changes. And then the final, <laughs> right. The final chorus goes, dear mom and dad, I'll send money. I'm mm-hmm. so rich. It ain't funny. And, um, Basically, the, the line that always resonated with me was was just, you know, um, was that was basically like, you know, being able to reach your dreams. Well, cut to, uh, I guess it would have been eight or nine years later. I'm performing with the guy that wrote that song in my hometown in a club that my mom's in attendance for. And I get to sing that song. Dear mom, uh, you know, dear mom and dad, please send money. I'm so uh broke it it ain't funny and it goes um please don't worry because i'm all right because i'm playing here wow. in the club tonight and for some reason that line just gutted me in that moment and my mom who's she's even more emotional than i was it was it was pin drop when i heard <laughs> <laughs> and that was my mom up in the balcony and i couldn't get through the lyric man you know i was Damn. i was crying i was you know and i told christian who was the guy that wrote it he was the he was the man from sugarland i said man you just gave me like the best gift ever thank you so much for the opportunity not only just to get to play and sing you know bgvs for you but also to get to do that in front that's of amazing and making me feel freaking emotional yeah, so that was that was definitely that today 
That's that's sweet. I, I assumed you were going to say that in front of some like massive crowd, but that's such a better answer to the question. Hey, yo, what up? This episode of the Preachers and Seekers podcast is brought to you by Rejuvenator Shoe Care. If you're like me and only have a few pairs of kicks, you got to be keeping those fresh at all times. My favorite pair of sneaks are my triple wide ultra boosts, and they're an absolute dirt magnet. But Rejuvenator provides everything I could possibly need to keep those kicks mega clean and at a reasonable price. All my listeners can get 10% off their whole order by using the code PREACHERS at checkout. So check them out at rejuvenator.com and be sure to use the code PREACHERS for 10% off. Um, all right. So you're in, you've very much been in the whole music scene and I'm, I'm sure you've experienced some of this kind of celebrity church culture and like building wealth in the Christian space. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought just of the whole concept of, is there an issue with preachers wearing expensive sneakers? And then maybe more in the realm of what do you think about getting rich in the Christian industry. All right. Um, I want to preface all this with saying that I grew up very, very poor in a time where the prosperity gospel was really, really killing. Um, and so I remember my mom, uh, you know, digging deep always to give. I remember stealing from the offering plate from the 9 a.m. service so I could give it at the 11 a.m. service. Um, because in my, in my, you know, childlike faith, I was thinking, well, God's going to see that I don't have money, but I got this money so I can give it back. And he's going to, he's going to honor that. Right. Like, you know, cause that's where my, my mind and my heart were at. You know, I, I just, I was believing for everything. You know, we, I grew up very, very poor and, you know, we were having to believe that God was going to provide. Um, and I remember times where my mom was, you know, scrubbing floors for wealthy people and they would leave extra money for like a Christmas present for me or, We'd be at the bank and somebody would walk up and say, God just told me to give you whatever's in this wallet and it, or uh, in this envelope mm. and it was like $100. Or um, uh, somebody would buy us a fridge because our old was broke and then they filled it with groceries for us. I mean, like that that stuff happened all the time when my mom was in Bible school. So I have a very love-hate relationship with when, when people talk about money. And for a lot of years, I really had issues with people that were wealthy because I grew up with such a lack that I, I – was I, I held you know animosity towards them i don't anymore thankfully i've been like delivered to that i don't feel that way um but as far as pastors and i guess in extension like worship leaders becoming really really wealthy and and and, and flaunting their wealth i really i i i don't agree with it to an extent and i'll, I'll explain mm-hmm. what that extent is basically um i have a problem with People using the pulpit or an extension like the stage as a billboard. Hmm. It is a platform, and that's 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 literally what it is. The stage is the platform. The pulpit is the centerpiece of the platform. What I say by billboard is making themselves stand out for wearing very very expensive clothing, very very expensive watches, expensive shoes, all that stuff. And then trying to say, oh, well, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. Blessed is blessed is a state of mind. Blessed isn't just uh, mm-hmm. materialism. And so with, with the I- increase in the popularity of the prosperity message, a lot of people have bought into the non-biblical idea 
that in order to be in God's favor, in order to be in God's good graces, you have to never, ever be sick and have an overabundance of material wealth. Mm -hmm. Do you? And, uh, you know, I was talking about this with my wife uh, a couple of days ago. I, I you know, I, I, a lot of the people on your page, man, you know, they're, they're, they're decked out head to toe in really nice clothes. And I have, I have no beef with nice clothing. I personally, I, I don't yeah. like brands at all. I, you won't see a logo on any of my of clothes because I just, I just don't care about that. Um, a lot of these brands like Supreme or Gucci, or which I, I, I know nothing about these brands, it is purely about clout. It has zero to do with comfort. I mean, I, I, I refuse to believe that a $2,000 pair of pants feels that much better than like, oh, just a good quality yeah. of pants because they have a brand. Logo what do you, I mean, but what if they're gifted? Does it matter? Well, okay, look, so let's talk about that. So if if they're gifted, that is one thing different. But even still, I think these people, these men and women, need to be mindful of the perception of them going out of their way so much to be seen in these – basically, like, the, the, they're just trappings, bro. Like, Because none right. of this really matters. Like, it, it, this, it, you know, wearing head-to-toe Gucci or wearing, you know, $1,000 shoes doesn't make your message – resonate with me yeah hmm. you know and then and then people say like well what happens if they get them for free or if they have like an endorsement like i have i have endorsements with companies because i like what the uh, you know the products that they make are like you know with the symbol company i play it's because i like the sound of those symbols now if you put me on another drum kit i'm still going to sound like myself regardless if, if i have my own yeah. gear or not one of the issues that we run into is with a lot of these pastors and worship leaders, you don't see them separated from the gear. You know, they're, their gear being hmm. the expensive clothing. They go out of their way to be seen wearing these things. And it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't, and, I don't know if any of them, I've yet to see if anyone is actually getting gifted things to wear from an endorsement perspective. I know they're getting gifted things from people that appreciate them or um, maybe brands are gifting it to them, uh, but uh, it's, it's, I've yet to see if it's actually happening. It's interesting to, to kind of sit in the tension of like, what are we to do with that? If that is in fact happening, like, is it, should we care that something other than, the gospel is being projected from a massive platform like that. Right. And, and you know, it, like the thing is, I mean, if, if you feel like you want to rock a brand, that that's totally fine. But I, I guess the issue that I run into with a lot of these pastors and like, and, and I, they're really celebrity pastors because most pastors don't yeah. make that much money. So, so when we, you know, so the people that are featured on your page, um, are celebrity pastors. And, and like, usually that goes part and parcel with a certain quality of living, a certain quality of mm -hmm. clothing, um, a certain, you know, they, they all have a brand. And like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm sick and tired of seeing these pastors go to such great lengths to portray this lifestyle of, I, I mean, really it's, it's excess, man. A lot of these guys are living in multi-million dollar mansions, multiple cars, um, really, really expensive clothing. And it's like, man, here's the thing. If you want to rock brands, why don't you rock like a, you know, 
uh, to write love mm. on her arms shirt or or triple x church something that's actually doing something for the kingdom bro like you you rocking a supreme outfit which i mean when supreme first came out i thought it was based. <laughs> i didn't realize like it I, I, I the branding looked like colgate to me so i was like wow these people really dig you know dental hygiene and then i come to find out it's like a multi-million dollar it's a very dad brand. take for you to like make supreme I know I'm <laughs> such a cornball, um, but you know it, it's it's weird, man. Um, c- celebrity pastors to me, they just have this swag to them that just says, "I have wealth, I have influence," and neither of which are really that important to being yeah. a pastor. Do you think? Um, do you think though in, that they're sorry something that's earned? Oh, I was oh, just no, going to say, ahead, do you think though? there's merit to dressing like the people they're trying to reach? No, because I believe that if, well, because I guess you could put it like this, like when, when Paul was saying like, I'm, I'm a Roman to the Romans, I'm a Jew to the Jews, like be all things, all people. I, I completely dig that, you know, at the same time, there's something so disingenuine about luring people in with, um, I guess, hmm. clothing, and then hoping and praying that they're going to stay there because they just, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's cause it's, it's really, it's so not important. You know, um, there's this amazing quote by this guy named Scott Sauls. I know nothing about him. He could be a horrible person, but I think he's actually a really nice guy. Um, uh, the, the quote is pastors impacted by the gospel, step up to the pulpit to preach with a limp, not a swag. Hmm. And when I, when I, read that quote i got goosebumps bro um that it gutted me for like a week um and i and you know especially like in the in this day and age where we we have shows like the righteous gemstones like kind of making fun at like the the over-the-top lifestyle that a lot of these pastors enjoy i guess i'm really tired of seeing these pastors with a freaking smile on their face all the time yeah. and they don't struggle with stuff. Yeah, it is it is tough because they're, like they they're definitely curating their image for sure. They've got a lot of creative teams behind them. I guess I, I don't blame them for doing that, but it does, it does send a message that everything is peachy, but I guess that's what most of us are doing on Instagram too. What do you think that quote means? Like, well, which is why I'm one of the first people to, Oh, sorry. Let me, let me yeah. before I forget it. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm always saying that social media is a freaking lie. You're always putting your best foot forward. So when somebody says, oh, man, it seems like you always have it all together, I'll be the first one to correct them. Like, absolutely not. In fact, you know, um, like I, I was very uh, upfront about my my struggles mm-hmm. with depression. Um, you know, uh, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you personally knew Pastor Jared. I, I didn't know him. Um, pa- Jared Wilson. I spoke with him over uh, DMs a few times. We didn't meet in person, but we met over okay. Instagram. Um, he was the pastor that took his life uh, uh, well, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And uh, I didn't know him. And like, I, but I, I started reading about him and like, man, his life and what he did resonated so much with me. You know, he had a, he's a wife and, and two boys, just like, you know, I did. He struggled with, um, you know, uh, negative thoughts. And he was suicidal, just like I was at a, and, uh, you know, yeah. 
he uh, he for for some reason he he decided that he he just couldn't go mm-hmm. on and he ended his life and it really sent me down this uh this trail of of prayer and reflection not just for him and his family but for a lot of these these pastors and I started to, to think of uh, these these people in, in these positions of power in the church in a way that I had never really felt before. And I, honestly, I, I felt I felt sorry for them. I felt worried for them because uh, I, I it's really easy to, to, to criticize about, you know, the, the, the decadent lifestyles that a lot of these people live and you know, the, the smiles that they always seem to have on their faces. And it made me start to think, like, what if what if these these men and women struggled not only with their own personal demons, but then they 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 struggle with um, knowing what to say and how to say to their you know their their congregation to their flock to these people because they're supposed to have all the answers and when you don't you know it, it's really easy to to lose sight of what's important it's really easy to lose sight of yourself you know um, I started reading statistics about pastors it was something. It was like it was like over fifty percent have had um, a negative. Uh, over fifty percent of pastors since taking uh, a pastoral position has had a negative effect uh, mm. on their family. Over fifty percent of pastors, it was much higher, um, have uh, struggled with depression and anxiety, and 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 had struggles dealing with the pressures of being in a position of authority within the body of Christ. Um, and it, th- that was one thing that I like, man, I, I really, honestly, I mean, I wanted to come on this podcast with like war paint on. I was ready to go in on these dudes. And although I, I definitely don't agree with the prosperity mm-hmm. message, um, because to, to, to teach people that, um, their sickness or their current financial circumstances is based purely on, um, uh, their faith or lack of, yeah. it's, that's not biblical, um. Because there, there's an amazing quote. Um, it was said like, if 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 God's, I'm paraphrasing, and I I, I suck at direct quotes, so I always have to paraphrase. Um, it was basically, um, uh, if 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 God's if if God's blessing on your life is dictated by never going through struggles and and always having health and always having wealth, then he hated the apostle Paul. Yeah. Um. You know, and and it was just so true because you know, when he was writing all those amazing books to the different churches that were that were getting started, he was chained and he was in prison, you know, and he was probably beaten and half starved. And, um, you know, those those were the people that were at the beginning. I mean, like, I love the book of Acts because that that was what the church was, was it was always the people. It was never it was never these mega multimillion dollar um stadiums that that we call churches that was never the church the church was always the people um and you know with with when these 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 men and women that were that were going out in the name of jesus man you know struggling and getting beaten and many of them were martyred i mean you know uh 11 of the 13 apostles were were martyred uh you know uh john uh was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he died of old age allegedly and um, Judas killed himself but all the others were martyred you know and these these were these were men that right. knew Jesus um, but now with, with the prosperity gospel we're, we're being told 
oh yeah, you know, dig deeper, give more. And, you know, you, you want that healing, how bad you want it, you know? Um, or, or if you're, if you're struggling financially, if you're not able to buy these clothes or, you know, if you're not able to put food on the table, you don't have enough faith. And she's like, how do you, how do you say something like that to a single mom who's struggling, yeah. you know, cleaning floors, um, or, or working two and three jobs? Like I, 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 I don't have enough gall right. to say something like that. And these men and women do with a straight face, you know, um, there was a uh, <laughs> there was a pastor you you featured on your your page not too long ago, Mike Todd, who I actually grew up. Oh with. yeah, and and uh, I guess one of his uh, the 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 newest I, I guess you would say like a conference he had was called uh, uh, "What You Have Is All You Need" or something. Like that. Oh yeah, well I saw that uh, and around it was so the, funny to- the picture or something that that I used. Yeah, and I, and I was like, man, what you have is mine. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I'm that not. He's apparently a good drummer Mike, too, right? Mike, Mike and his family were always. Man, he was such a good drummer. We grew up together, and he was he was one of those dudes that if he would have stuck with it and didn't get so involved with all this church business, he could have he could have really done something great. But man, uh, you know, I'm 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 so happy that he's gone on to do a lot of the stuff he's done. Um, another guy I knew that you've. Uh, Feature on your page with Sean Floyd. Uh, I, I played with him with this thing called The Burn, which he helped start, which was this uh, national oh, yeah. uh, worship movement. Um, he's a, you got to do a podcast interview with him because I'd, I'd love to uh-huh. hear what that dude's been up to. I know he's with is yeah, he's, Bethel he's now? Or? one of the lead guys at Bethel, music-wise. Um, I've been meaning to get him on. It, yeah, I tried to get him to come to Dallas, uh, but yeah. he was super busy, obviously, <laughs> and I'm planning on getting, getting him on at some yeah. point. He's hilarious. Oh man, he he's a good one to do uh, to, to to have on there because he, he always had a, a really great take and a really great heart for God. But um, you know, it's just uh, all of this to say, man, like you know, I, when when you talk about uh, the 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 pressures that these men and women face, man, like I, I often wonder, like is our is our infatuation with material wealth and perception influencing a lot of these quote-unquote celebrity pastors to act a certain mm-hmm. way i mean yeah because i mean the onus a of, is it's, on it's, 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 a lot of us because inherently the things that we as random people care about are going to project on how we see church and ultimately we've created a lot of this mega celebrity church world so i i guess i don't necessarily blame i, I guess the question is like, what, what do we expect from them? If they're great communicators, they have a heart for God and they're also good leaders. They're building a massive church through doing a lot of things really well. Um, I guess my, my question for the whole thing is like, what do we expect? Or like, what are, are we to stifle some dude's growth because he's getting too big or he's getting too popular? I don't know. I, it's an interesting problem. Or I don't, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's an interesting thing to think about, and it, a lot of people feel strongly about it. Like well, you know, I was I was looking up different pastors last night, and you know, like uh, one was Francis Chan, who 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 gave away like most of his um, he gave away like most of his material possessions, and I think he he basically like you know he stepped down from his church. He was like, "You guys are on it. I don't want anymore," and he moved to another community. Um, another one was Rick Warren. Man. Like bo- both of those guys are. are I, I think you could definitely say that they're celebrity pastors, um, but both of those guys are guys who do not uh, 
harp on materialism. I mean, you know, Rick Warren lives on the reverse tithe. He gives away 90%, lives on the 10. But he's also lived in the same home for 20 plus years. Um, he, he, he buys his watches at Walmart. Like, I mean, it's like, so it's like, well, yeah, I mean, like this guy, he wrote Purpose Driven Life, bro. The second most, you know, uh, the second best selling book ever, except mm-hmm. for the Bible. Like, I can't even imagine how much money that guy has gone through. But he's like, uh, he, there was this amazing quote. He's like, I just started, I just started rejecting money because I didn't want people to think I was in this for the money. I, I'm in this because I love Jesus. Dang. I'm like, God, say that, That's bro. That's convicting. Say that. Because that, I mean, that applies to all of us, really. It's like, if we're truly in it, to live yeah, for well, Jesus, we sh- I mean, maybe we should be all living like that. But I don't really want to give away 90% of what I'm making, real talk. <laughs> I would starve if I gave away 90% of what I'm making, bro. I got I got kids and a, a dog, man. You know. But no, it, it, it's, and it's interesting because it's like, you know, when you look back to John the Baptist, who I would definitely say was the first celebrity pastor, man. He, 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 he lived out on the fringes of society. People came to him. And they, you know, the, the teachers of the law at the time were like, so are you the Messiah? He's like, no. He's like, well, are you Elijah? No. Well, who are you? He's like, I have a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And then when Jesus came, he started, you know, taking his followers, you know. And when they asked him, like, aren't you angry? He's like, no. You know, I must, I must decrease so that he may increase. Like, he, he took all the steps of his life with such a level of grace and I want to see more of that in the, in the church leaders now. Um, yeah. I don't see a lot of these men and women trying to decrease themselves. I see a lot of these men and women trying to increase their platform, increase their influence. And I'm not saying that the platform is wrong in and of itself. But when you're propping yourself up rather than Jesus, that's when the issue comes into play. When you're propping up the importance of materialism and the importance of you know faith will equal all this other stuff. It, it doesn't. It doesn't add up. Yeah. You know, we, I, don't, I mean, a lot of them. A lot of them aren't audibly saying that. Like a lot of them. The very few, other than like the OG prosperity gospel dudes, are actually saying today, like, give more and you'll receive more, or like, have more faith and you'll get more blessed. It's more. It toes the line between like self help and motivation type. Like that's where I think we get in trouble more often than bona fide prosperity gospel messages, more of like, Hey, you, because I'm a great communicator, I'm going to encourage you to go out and achieve your dreams and get through the hard stuff and, you know, get out of your current situation in, instead of anchoring it all to the gospel and say, look, you need Jesus regardless of where you're at. And he died a terrible death to pay for the sins that you're always going to have um, versus like, Hey, if you just hunker down, keep persevering, keep coming to listen to these motivation, motivating messages, you'll get through it. I think that's, it seems dangerous to, to build your platform off that message versus off of something like, look, you need to read the Bible and understand that Jesus is the only way. Right. And, and I, I think I'm just getting sick and tired of of getting basically a watered down, you know, self-help motivational type thing. Man, I, I just I just want Jesus, man. Like I, I don't I don't and like this is a weird thing for a worship guy to say, because I, I love worship. I don't like a lot of the worship music that's out, um, but like I, I do love worshiping is that like I 
if you took all the stuff away from from these guys, would 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 their message be as resonant with some of their you know community? If you if you took you know the trappings away from Olstein's church, you know if you took the fog machines out, you know if if you if you broke down the crystal cathedral, like if you you know like it, it's just like you you take all the extra stuff away, all the extraneous stuff away. If they can still preach Jesus loves you, wearing just some regular clothes, then awesome, more power to them. But I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm sick of feeling like they have to be this certain thing, hit all these points. Yeah. I'm like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the pastors that you feature on the page, man, it's like they all, they all kind of dress the same, they all kind of look the same, and it's. It's very much a, a self-gratifying lifestyle, you know, that they're able to justify all the stuff that they do by saying, well, I've been very blessed. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I too have been very blessed. I think our views of what means to be blessed are very different, though. Yeah. I don't necessarily dictate blessings by material stuff. Yeah. I mean, because ultimately the blessing is getting to be connected with God eternally. Right. And then having the blessing of being able to live for him and not being condemned for the rest of your life. For sure. Like, yeah, you know, I, are, I, you, are you able to continue on preaching if your, your flock dwindles, if, if the money isn't there? Because, and, and that's another thing, man. Like, I, I don't know if I have the grace to be a pastor, bro. To be perfectly honest with you, like the, the, the amount of crap that they have to deal with is insane. Yeah, it's a tough job. I don't really understand why people sign up to do it at this point. Like just knowing what actually goes into it. I mean, I do know why, like a lot, a lot of people are like, I want to follow Jesus and I feel called to do this, but it seems freaking hard and thankless. And it, there's not really a stopping point. I would definitely say if, you know, it, you could be in it for the money. Cause I think, I think there are not a lot, but I think there are definitely some people that are in it for the money. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people, you know, that who, who, who even, let's say even the ones that would, I guess you could say they've kind of fallen away or, or gone astray or led people astray. I think they absolutely went into it with the best of intentions. And, you know, man, uh, there was this amazing quote that, that pastor Rick Warren said about his son. Um, and, uh, it was basically like, uh, in the garden of God's grace, even a broken tree can bear fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and these men and women, man, they're, they're deeply flawed individuals. And this isn't a dig. This is a fact. I, you know, I do, I, I don't wish ill on any of these people. I, I want them, I want them to have, you know, a good life and I want them to be blessed. Um, I'm just, I don't want, I, 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 I won't even say want, I, I, I need people to hear that your life isn't dictated by your faith solely in that. If you get sick, it wasn't because you believed enough. If you don't have enough money, right. it wasn't because you believed enough. Um, because, I, you know, I, could you say that to somebody in a third world country, you know, who, who, who's living on a dirt floor? It's like, and especially that, if, if you were to go to a place like where they're at, if I go to a metal <laughs> show and I'm wearing like a, a FUBU tracksuit, I'm going to stand out like a sore freaking thumb. I think we need people that are a little bit more flexible, that are able to go into those places and say, you know what, like, 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 I'm going to go to where you are just as I am to talk to you just as you are. Cause let me tell you something. He just loves you, brother. And, you know, and, and I think that's what we need. You know, uh, you know, Jesus said it to his, 
his disciples in like, this is, this is, this is the quote of all quotes. He's like, you know, you, in this life, you will have troubles. They'll persecute you like they yeah. persecuted me. Like he promised them that life was going to suck at times. You know? But then we have to go also to the consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you ever, whenever you face trials and tribulations. Right. You know, I don't consider it pure joy when, when, when I can't pay a bill. I don't consider it pure right. joy when the, the car breaks down for the thousandth time. But I tell you what, man, God's been doing a work in me and, and a work in my wife's heart where I tell you, man, you know, life, life is not easy right now. Um, we, we just got mm-hmm. denied uh, a loan for a home. And <laughs> we were like, Lord, if this is your will, make it happen. And we got back a heck no. <laughs> we thought this was amazing. But through it all, man, like God's been just, I've been so fortunate to get to, he's working on my heart in the meantime to be able to deal with the, the, the punches and roll with them, you know, and just go like, you know, like this, this, this whole thing, this whole life, man, is, is, is just a freaking vapor. And then we move on to the next thing. And so like, so yeah, although this life would be nice, it'd be nice to have a freaking tub that I could fit in mm-hmm. or, or, you know, <laughs> my wife's AC, not freaking being on the fritz all the time, but the same and like I'm, 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 I'm so hopeful for what God's doing in the body of Christ and what what He's put into the hearts of young men and women that are growing up. And that, and I, I really feel like God's about to do like a, a, an amazing move where He's going to take people from all different walks of life and get them out there. Like I'm personally, I'm praying for Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I want ahead. that dude badly. Um, can I tell you a quick story about Manson, real quick? Yeah, I, I went to a concert with a, a buddy of mine from church. He was like, you want to go to Manson? I was like, yes. And um, there's a scene, uh, th- there's a, excuse me, there's a song that he does hmm. where he he rips out a Bible. He, he like rips it apart and he sets it on fire. And this whole time I was standing there, like I was watching all these people smiling and then they were, you know, getting really into it. I met a lot of them. They were super nice. Um, I, I was actually wearing a church shirt and I didn't plan it. I just happened to be wearing a church shirt. I was like, oh, that's right. I'm going to a Manson show. And I kept waiting for the, I guess, the, the dark anointing to hit and the, the feeling of the demonic. And, and instead, I just, I was praying for him. It was the weirdest thing. I was just going like, man, God, like, because I read his biography. And one of the things he, he talked about was like, he, he got so sick and tired of people saying mm-hmm. that he was the devil. He's like, fine, you want me to be the devil? I'll show you the devil. And that's when he really started amping it up. Yeah. And my heart just broke, man. You know, like I, I think we need to be praying for people like that. You know, um, you know, th- these, these people that are struggling with whatever, they, they still have a massive influence and a massive fan base. Mm-hmm. And it's like, imagine if a dude like Marilyn Manson came to Christ or a dude like yeah. Eminem came to Christ. Like, you know, can be, you imagine how gnarly that would be, bro? And he's got the power to do it. I mean, we uh, we put God in a very small box, but ultimately he's going to do exactly what he's going to do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love your heart behind that. And uh, it's convicting to me. Like I should be praying for people that I want to critique a lot more than I do currently. I think it's something that we, as believers, we should all do. And um, yeah, I just think that's so important. Uh, I know we're well over time, but I really appreciate your, insights on this. And it's good to get a perspective of somebody that's grown up with the situation that you grew up in. Um, I'm trying to get diverse perspectives on what materialism looks like and what, 
what we are to do with celebrity church culture, because I don't really know what to do with it. But I, I, for whatever reason, this is a tension that people are sitting in right now. And uh, I'm happy to get people that are that have some great insight into it. And um, I think people will get a lot out of our, our conversation, mostly from what you said, nothing from what I said. So and it, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, man, like I, I, I want to thank you so much for allowing me to be on this thing. And, and um, you know, I definitely know that the, the page is, <laughs> it's been divisive, but um, it's a conversation that's been happening for a long, long time. And I hope it, it continues yeah. to open up. Uh, a more open and honest dialogue about the current state of affairs within the church um, and allows people to discuss civilly, you know, yeah, uh, absolutely. About if uh, people it, want it, to rebuke you what, what online, where can they find you? I'm going to tell you right now, man, if, if, if anybody <laughs> messages me on Instagram uh, and wants to do a debate, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to straight up tell you, man, I, I just don't care enough. And it's not, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be mean or, mm-hmm. or negative. I just, I dude, half these people on your page, I've never even heard of. I, cause I, my, my sphere of influence that I allow into my life to influence me is very, very small. I, I try to be very selective about that. So at the same time, it's like, I, I'm very particular about who I let in and I don't allow negativity into my life if I can help it. Um, so if, if anyone wants to just kind of talk, I'm totally down with that. Um, it's uh, I am Ben Satterley, S-A-T-T-E-R-L-E-E um, on Instagram. So Instagram slash uh, I am Ben Satterley. Sweet, man. All right, Ben Satterley, drummer slash uh, philosopher based in Nashville. Thanks for your time, brother, and hope we can do this again, man. Oh, absolutely, bro. Anytime. Thanks so much, man. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Bye. Hey, y'all, I really appreciate you checking out the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. If you haven't already, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Also, if you haven't checked us out on Instagram, we're always posting at Preachers Letter N Sneakers. And again, if you haven't checked out the Patreon, please head over there, patreon.com slash Preachers and Sneakers. There you get to support the pod. Everything we're doing at Preachers and Sneakers, we've got a lot of awesome content coming soon. So please keep an eye out. And thanks again, as always, for listening to the Preachers and Seekers podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Preachers and Seekers podcast. Our intro and ad music was by our good friend, Words Played. You can follow him on Instagram, at Words Played. And also, thank you to our audio engineer, Zane Callister, for making my voice sound way better than it actually is in real life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.